Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. We're jam-packed. And you know what? I'm going to save the intro for a little bit later. Let's just dive right in. Why don't we? Hot start here. First up this morning, Kyle. He hits us with this. Do you think Florida State is poised for a bounce-back season, i.e. a respectable bowl bid? Nothing crazy. I was throwing this question around to Colin earlier today. And Colin, as he is one to do, doesn't even look up. He just says, well, can't get much worse than 5-7 and seven last year, can it? And I said, you know what, Colin, unless I come up with something better, that's probably going to be my answer. I think he's right. So I think there will be a respectable improvement list this year. Now, for those who have forgotten, I know Florida State fans haven't, but Florida State last year was 5-7. and seven. Now, I thought going into the last week, which, of course, they used to play Florida every year, I thought that if they would have won that game, which they lost 24-21, to I thought if they won that game, the entire perception of the season would have been different. They would have gone from 5-7 and seven to 6-6. Six and six. They would have been bowl eligible. You would have gotten to talk about your 15 extra practices, which everyone loves to focus on in December as a result of the bowl game. And then who knows, they may have won the bowl game and they would have been seven and six as opposed to five and seven. Like that's a mountain of difference, but that's not how it happened. Five and seven was how it went down. Here's the important thing to note that if you get into the weeds a little bit, you realize is different about Mike Norvell at Florida State and the way he's handled things. Mike Norvell did not come in there and say, we're going to turn this around overnight. He didn't. Uh, Bud Elliott's talked about this a lot. He's very close to that program. Mike Norvell did the opposite. Mike Norvell came in there, and he let people know. And when I say people, I mean the ones with deep pockets, the ones in many respects who were responsible for hiring him. He let them know, you got a mess on your hands. I'm your head coach. I got a mess on my hands. Now, we're going to try and win as quickly as possible. They leveraged the portal. Uh, So they did the things necessary to try to win quickly, but he said, we're not doing it overnight. We're not going to microwave it here. We're going to take time. That's me turning the oven on. We're turning the oven on. Then we got to let it heat up. Okay, we got, we got to let the ingredients over here thaw. It just takes a little while to make the kind of quality meal that you want and the kind of product that they want down there. But we're not asking them to win 10 games. The question was, will there be respectable improvement? Yeah, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to expect them to make a bowl game this year or, or win seven games. We're three years in now. It's kind of weird because the first year was the COVID year and he didn't get spring. They were one of those new staffs that also didn't get spring, which is a nightmare. But they're three years in now. Uh, Let's be real with ourselves. It's still the Atlantic Coast Conference. If you're watching the video portion that we put on YouTube, you're looking at the schedule right now. They open against Duquesne, uh, which some people still try to pronounce Duquesne, according to sources close to the situation back home. But then they play Florida State. But they've got so many workable games here. There aren't very many landmines on the schedule where you look and you, you start to pencil in the L already. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Louisville, Boston College, Wake Forest, NC State, Clemson, Georgia Tech, Miami, Syracuse, Louisiana, Florida. There, there just aren't a whole lot of, well, we better get these others because we're not getting that one. So yeah, seven or eight wins, I don't think it's too much to ask. I think it's reasonable, and I also think it's a healthy balance. Year three, healthy balance. Let's try and win us eight games this year. It's not year one, it's year three. So you told us what the deal is, Mike Norvell. We're telling you now, okay, we we gave you time. Give us a little bit, just a little bit of return on investment. We need a ray of sunshine. It's been cloudy. We just need a ray of sunshine. We don't need to get sunburned today, but we need a ray of sunshine. Thank you so much for being tuned in. I'm just trying something different this morning. And when I say this morning, it means as we're recording, you can listen to it any old time you want to. But this is the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is, of course, college football year round. We don't do the O word around here. We whisper it when we do have to talk about it. And that is, of course, off season. I got to do a promo read when we get done recording. And they want me to say the word in the promo read. And I told management, I may say it, but I'm going to have to whisper it. Uh, I asked you a favor the other day on Late Kick Live, which is also available in podcast form. And you did it. And I want to ask you again because it worked. All I asked you to do was subscribe to the pod. That's it. 
Obviously, if you're listening right now, you have downloaded the episode, which helps us greatly. I appreciate that. Do me one more little favor. If you're on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen, just subscribe to the pod. It's free. Nothing else happens, but it does help us internally. And uh, you guys did it, apparently, by the millions and millions and millions the other day, it looks like, because uh, we got a really, really good bump. So thank you for that. That's it. That's all. Um, I'm Josh Pate. Let's get back to it. Mailbag. If you want to submit questions, by the way, at Late Kick Josh on Twitter and Instagram, and we got a bunch of them this morning. We jammed this thing as packed as we possibly can. So let's move it on here. That's enough uh, from me begging you to subscribe, although you really should subscribe if we're being honest. All right, next up is Jordan. Jordan asks, if you had a favorite team and they just hired a new coach starting in 2022, what would you prefer? So we're Pate State University. We got a new hire. Do we want an offensive-minded coach or do we want a defensive-minded coach? And to be honest with you, Jordan, I don't have a strong feel on this. I'm not, I'm, I guess I'm in the minority. I don't really care that much about which side of the ball you specialize on. Seems like everyone else has got a strong take on this. Here's my take. I want you to play a certain style of football. I don't want to hire a pinball coach. I don't want to hire a guy whose modus operandi is that his teams have had to score 45 to have a chance to win. So I don't want that. I also don't want a guy who, you know, bristles at the notion of the forward pass. I don't want that. But you could be an offensive guy or a defensive guy like Nick Saban's a defensive guy. His offenses have rewritten the college football record books recently. So what does that really mean? Could you tell watching Alabama games that Saban was a defensive guy? No. Uh, So I don't really care about that. Here's why I mentioned Saban. And this is how I would hire if I were at Pate State. (laughs) Yeah, I'd go get Nick Saban if you were available. But what I want is I want a guy who understands the bigger picture. So when I interview a head coach, sure, I want to know what your overall philosophy is. I want to know if you're a defensive guy, how would you hire offensively? That's one of the first things I want to know, actually. How do you hire on the opposite side of the ball from the side you specialize on. Um, How much do you believe in delegating responsibility? How much are you involved in the opposite side of the ball's day-to-day preparation and in-game implementation? Yeah, I wanna know all that. But you wanna know what else I wanna know, and this is really paramount in today's game more so than it ever has been. Do you have at least a working knowledge of marketing? Do you have at least a working knowledge of public relations? Do you have, at the very least, I'm not asking you to be an expert, but do you have a working knowledge of economics? Do you have a working knowledge of how the entire NIL game is played? What are your people skills? How much is my donor class going to be able to interact with you reasonably? Uh, That stuff matters because you're no longer just making your living on a grease board and in the living rooms of 17-year-old kids. You're now the face of my organization, and I would hire you And I would vet you while I was hiring you the same way I would if I were putting you in my, you know, CEO's chair. Because that's what you are now. And I think for a long time, maybe in some cases up until today, a lot of programs still view their head coach as just a football coach. That's not what you are anymore. Whenever I have head coaches on the show, I asked Mario Cristobal a couple of weeks ago, explain to people, I guess I, I urged him to explain to people how different the role is from what people perceive it to be. And he said, only a fraction of a fraction of my time is spent on football, actual on-field football-related matters. A whole, a whole, whole huge chunk of my average day is spent on all kinds of administrative things of this nature and that nature. I want a guy who gets the big picture. I want a guy who knows people. I want a guy who has leadership qualities. And I want a guy who can display that when I'm interviewing him. So if that's a defensive guy, if that's an offensive guy, I don't really care. I'm, I'm 51-49 either way on that. I want a guy who has leadership qualities. I want someone that when my other coaches look at him, they say, yep, that's a guy I'll go into battle with and I'll go into battle for. And that's a rare commodity. Most don't have it. And um, you've got to be pretty shrewd yourself when you're interviewing guys to know which ones do have it and don't have it. But the thing about it is, When you're sitting across from, I'm going to use one of the most overused terms in the world today, when you're sitting across from an alpha personality, you're sitting across from a guy with discernible leadership traits and characteristics, you don't have to guess. See, if you're having to guess whether they got them, they probably don't have them, or at least not developed to the point where you need them to be the head coach at at Minnesota or, or Auburn or South Carolina. But if they do have them, you leave that interview and you say, Janie, cross the rest of my appointments off. We got our guy. And that's how I would hire at Pate State. 
my secretary's name is Janie. Welcome to Pate State, Janie. Love her. Love Janie. Next up, this morning slash evening, afternoon, whenever, uh, Good For You asks, when you are judging a team's strength of schedule and you look at where their opponents were ranked, do you judge them where they were ranked when you played them or where they are ranked currently? This is a great question. This is one of the most misunderstood aspects of college football. This is why I believe this is the role Vegas should play in college football strength of scheduling. It's just that. That's where they should be involved, strength of schedule. You got some people who would argue, ooh, Las Vegas should be involved in the college football playoff selection process. And I agree, but then they say, yeah, for instance, your, your record against the spread should be taken into account. No, it shouldn't. That's foolishness. That's an arbitrary metric that has nothing to do with you on the field because it's not apples to apples. More is expected of Ohio State than is expected of Wisconsin. Um, maybe not by much, but, but it's that, that's, the, that's the way it is, Bruce Hornsby reference. And so if Ohio State is 2-5 uh, and five against the spread and Wisconsin's 5-2, and two, that automatically means Wisconsin's a better team. So get that out of here. But what I mean is when I say Vegas should be involved, it's when we get to the end of the year. This is why I cannot watch the playoff show that ESPN does. I can't watch it because I have to listen to playoff committee members and then folks on a panel in some cases that don't know any better tell me about how many ranked wins a team has. How many wins against top 20 or top 25 teams does this team have? And it, it's, it's why I look like I do. I pulled my hair out. I don't, I don't, I'm not in the process of doing it. It's past tense. It's already been done. I've pulled my hair out listening to that because I don't believe in it. I don't believe that's the proper way to gauge the strength of a team's schedule. I'm going to give you two examples from this past year, and I want you to think along with me. Uh, where were you, for example, in week two? Arkansas played Texas in week two. Texas came into Reynolds Razorback Stadium, and they, the entire stadium was on fire. It was an electric atmosphere. Texas was undefeated, obviously. They had just beat Louisiana, remember? Convincingly. In week one, that was a game everyone had Texas on upset alert for. Texas wins. Texas is highly ranked, and they're highly rated. And this is an important word. Those aren't the same. Ranking and rating are not the same. So Texas goes in there. Arkansas thumped them. And remember how you felt that night. I want you to vividly think back. Remember how you felt that night when you watched Arkansas just thump Texas. You thought to yourself, rightfully so, that's a high caliber win. That's a quality win. And you were right. Here's the mistake a lot of people made. They didn't freeze that opinion. This is my opinion. You ought to freeze that opinion and then set it on a countertop somewhere. Don't touch it. Because what happens is you get later in the year and then external factors and circumstances that happen after you played Arkansas happen to Texas. And they start losing more games and a bunch of injuries probably pop up, as is often the case. And all of a sudden they end up a beaten up team that has several losses down the road and people look back on Arkansas's resume and they say, turns out that win wasn't what we thought it was. Yes, it was. You allowed yourself to get fooled. Because the fact of the matter is, the Texas that Kansas faced is not the same Texas that Arkansas faced. Emotionally and physically, they're not the same team anymore. Another famous example before we go to the third one or the uh, other one from this past year is back a couple of years ago, I think 2017. I remember I went to the opener in Atlanta, and it was Alabama-Florida State, both top four teams, I think. It was like number two versus number four or something like that. And Bama beats Florida State, and they knocked DeAndre Francois out of the game, out for the season, and it ended up that Florida State season went off the rails, and I will never forget, this is when this, is, this opinion was born in my mind. When I started watching towards the end of the year, because remember, that was the year Bama, they didn't win the SEC, but they still made the playoff. But a lot of people were arguing they shouldn't make the playoff. They don't have any quality wins or they don't have any top 10 ranked wins. They did. They beat Florida State. That was a top 10 win. But then some folks over in this corner said, uh-uh, look, Florida State's not even ranked. Well, I know they're not ranked. But that only matters to me if Bama played them last week. They didn't. They played them full strength, hair on fire, all the goals in front of them in week one. You think maybe Bama got a little bit stronger pushback from Florida State than Florida got from them? 
uh, 13 or 14 weeks later? I think so. Without their quarterback? I think so. Jimbo Fisher on his way out the door? Yeah, I think so. So I remember that and I said to myself, well, how do we, how do we resolve this? The way we resolve it is we take Vegas and we bring them in the room. And how we do this is we ask Las Vegas, put a power rating on these teams that are about to play on this field on this given day. Uh, so let's go to Alabama, Florida from this past year, for example. Bama goes to Florida. It was week three. And they go down there and they got past Florida 31 to 29. It was one of the great atmospheres this season. I hated I couldn't be there. There was only one place we could be on a given Saturday. And I remember that some of the Bama players were talking about how incredible the atmosphere is, how inspired the performance from Florida was. They had just played in the SEC title game a, a year before. And um, so that day, what I would love to do in my world is I would love to have a Vegas odds maker, people who are responsible for getting it right with their jobs on the line, tell me how good is Florida that day? How good is Alabama that day? When they play, how good are they? Define that then have the game play out and then grade those teams and define the caliber and quality of that win and then freeze it. And nothing that happens down the road when Dan Mullen's on the hot seat and players start opting out, players get hurt and you're not the team you were earlier in the year. Nothing about that can devalue the win you had against Florida from two months prior because that's stupid. And so that's how I define it. I like to freeze the value of a win in the present moment and then I don't like to go back and touch it. There's one exception to this rule. And the exception is, if it is so blatantly obvious a team was a poser, then maybe I will, I will manually override. And that's a very rare exception. But there's another thing that could happen. It could be that in retrospect, we look back and we say, we didn't know the team you beat in week two was as good as they were. Now I'm fine with that. I'm fine with upgrading the caliber of the win you had. Or let's say you get beat by a team and they weren't ranked at the time. But all of a sudden, they've gone on to be a top 10 team. Well, all of a sudden, that loss doesn't look that bad. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, because the external factors don't impact you and make you better. They could only knock you down and make you worse after I played you. So I can go back and retroactively add value to a win. I'm not about devaluing stuff, only on the rarest of occasions. So I, to answer the question, I determine the value based on what you were at the time. But it's not just what you were ranked. It's what you were rated. How would I power rate you at the time? That's how I decide that. Long-winded way of saying I'm not happy with the way the conversation currently, currently happens in that avenue. All right, let's gather ourselves. Let's move on. Uh, who is up next? James is up next. James asks, favorite restaurants from any of my college football road trips? This will disappoint a lot of you. I mean, you think to yourself, this guy's got a dream job, which I do. And it takes me to any game I choose to go to every week, which takes me to some of the great college towns and great cities, therefore, in America. And the culinary scenes are off the charts and very eclectic town to town. You go to Austin, Texas, and you go to State College, Pennsylvania. They're not the same town, and that's a good thing. So you get a wide variety, the entire spectrum on the culinary scene. And then you have someone like me, and I don't take advantage of it at all. And I go to these towns on Fridays. I don't get to fly in earlier. So I go into the town in fr on Friday. A lot of times it's later at night. And the first thing on my mind is, let me get to my hotel room. And then the next thing on my mind is, all right, well, let's find whatever's left open. Uber Eats time. And I don't really have an opportunity to take in the scene, the culinary scene, like I would if I got there on Thursday night. Because we're doing a show on Thursday night, so I can't afford to go on Thursday. Unless we do the show from there, which could be a change we make this upcoming year. TBD. Well, here's how sad that life becomes. You hear all the great stories about the restaurants, but you never get to see any. So I'm not playing around when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. The most memorable, this is so sad, the, the most memorable dining experience that I had from this past season that was not in a press box was in Detroit, Michigan. It was before Ohio State, Michigan. Now, I know this is a podcast and most of you just listen via audio. And Colin just looped the video. Uh, but this is one of those situations where I would encourage you to go on the YouTube channel and check out the individual video we're going to put up. Because we're going to put up just this cut of this question. And the reason you're going to want to see it is because there is a restaurant in the airport Marriott. 
So Detroit has a couple of Marriott's, and this is uh, whichever Marriott I stayed at. And there is a lounge, restaurant lounge, that's called Maryland's Lounge. It's right there in the lobby of the Detroit Airport Marriott. Why is it called Maryland's Lounge? Well, I found out, and I shot video of it. I Josh video. Vertical, not even horizontal. I'm sitting at the bar in this place. Who's that playing? NC State, someone's playing there on a Friday night. And I find out the reason this place is called Maryland's Lounge is because there is a Marilyn Monroe impersonator. Striking resemblance, might I add. There's a Marilyn Monroe impersonator who just saunters about the bar and the restaurant talking to the locals there and the people passing through. And this is not a crowded establishment. So, you know, probably 15% capacity. So she gets in a conversation with everyone. I chatted her up. Best I could tell her name was Marilyn. She didn't tell me any other name. Could have been her stage name. I am inclined to believe that. She's got pictures of Marilyn Monroe all over the walls. Great burger. Great burger. So it was a good meal, but the experience will last a lifetime. Maryland's Lounge at the Marriott, attached nearby to the Detroit airport. Now, I told you it was going to be sad. That's the best story I have for you. So we have to improve our quality of life on the road this fall. I have to get into towns earlier than Friday night because it is imperative. I have a better answer for you this time next year. That's one step up from saying there's a great Burger King on the bypass exit. I can't do that to you. I owe you more than that. So here's my ideal world. I get into your town on Thursday. I've asked you on Wednesday, where should I go eat? We run a poll for just the locals there. And then I go wherever you tell me to go. That would be a great world. And I I highly suspect those of you in Michigan would have sent me many places. Maryland's Lounge, Marriott Airport, next to Detroit Airport, probably not going to be the place you send me. But that's the memory. And I did at least have video. So, you know, bring the elements back if you want to talk about it. That's what they always tell me. (laughs) What, What a life we're living. Oh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I would trade it for a Thursday arrival, though. Let's move on here. Next question. Here's Jay. Jay asks, how hard would it be for conferences to work out a challenge weekend like we have in basketball? Imagine how popular a Big Ten versus ACC weekend slate of games would be. Thanks for the content. Hashtag Pate State. That hashtag's important. Put that Pate State in there. It bumps you right to the front of the line. I want this. I want what Jay is asking for. A lot of you have talked about this. In basketball, you just got a random week where all of a sudden it's the Big Ten SEC challenge and teams from one conference are playing teams from the other conference. How would you do this in football? I don't think it's that difficult to pull off, conceptually. That's like pulling teeth, trying to ever get actual meaningful change in this game. Meaningful change, not change. A lot of stuff changes. Most of the stuff I don't want to change. But this would be good change. I figure you'd have to put this at the beginning of the year. Everyone's playing out of conference games. Usually you're playing out of conference games week one of the season anyway. So why not have partnerships amongst conferences? Why not have, for instance, the SEC and the Big Ten hook up? Now this to me is where you would inject a little bit of competitive balancing within the sport. Because what you could have is you could have seeding. You could seed your conference based on last year's results, 1 through 14. And therefore, you'd have Bama and Ohio State play to start the year. You'd have Michigan and A&M play to start the year. Penn State versus Georgia to start the year. You know, Michigan State, LSU, Wisconsin, Florida. Now, you may say to yourself, well, that's not fair. Because the worse you did the previous year, theoretically, the more advantageous draw you have to start the following year. And that's true. And that would be sort of a very, very, very poor man's version of what the NFL draft does. You win the Super Bowl, you're drafting 32nd in the first round the next year. Uh, This wouldn't even be remotely comparable to that in terms of truly handicapping you based on your success, but it it would resemble that. We don't have a mechanism like that. Every other mechanism in college football, which I'm fine with, is built to reward success. In fact, I prefer it that way. This is one little thing that we can insert that accomplishes a couple of different goals. Number one, it gets you guys a little bit more competitive balance in theory. But number two, you're guaranteed to give us high-quality products to start the year. High-quality, out-of-conference products to start the year. And I don't really care where you put the games. I just assume the first two weeks, let's say, of the season would be the most prime opportunity. Because once you get in conference play, then things aren't congruent. Then you got to worry about the bye weeks. Uh, you got to worry about the number of teams you have. A whole bunch of different stuff. Some some games are fixed on certain dates. Um, so, some teams have to play other teams. So it's a big mess. I'm, I'm not a schedule maker for obvious reasons. But I would love to see that. Imagine that. Imagine knowing 
already your week one opponent based on the way the schedule finishes in the previous season. You're watching Rivalry Week and you know we just locked up the number three seed. We ended up being the number three seed. Who's finishing over here? Is that Michigan State? No, Wisconsin. No, Michigan State got it. Okay, that means we're playing Michigan State week one. I guess all at that point you have to figure out is the venue. Maybe neutral site. I prefer on campus. But that's, it, it's a great scenario. There's no one out there that thinks that's a bad idea. Or if you do, I'd love to hear from you. I'm all for what gives us a better product. At the end of the day, this is an entertainment product. That's what it is. I told you this, we went on a little mini rant about this a couple of weeks ago. Everyone says this game is about the players. It's about the fans. Because um, if you've got a packed stadium and a middle linebacker walks off the field, you just put another middle linebacker out there. That middle linebacker, it can be 100 of them on the field. If you don't have any fans in the stands, you don't have a product. So this is an entertainment product at its very core. And I would love to have a more entertaining product. That's what I'm looking for. So great question, great idea. We'll probably never see it just because of how great it is. Moving on. Next question. Next suggestion. That was more a suggestion, I guess. College Football Unlimited asks us, if you could never watch college football games in person again, or never see a tornado in person again, which are you choosing? Not a lot of you are not storm chasers like me, so this is an easy answer. Well, this is not an easy answer for me. In fact, I'm still thinking about it as we speak. I told myself I'd arrive at a conclusion before we came on air, but I'm, I'm not at a conclusion. Seeing a tornado in person is the most incredible experience you will ever have. I've actually got Colin. I gave him video of the last tornado that we intercepted. He's rolling it right now if you're watching the individual video of this. This is from Billingsley, Alabama last year, by the way. We confirmed this one for the National Weather Service, EF1 tornado. So this is insane. If you've never seen a tornado in person, I can't, I can't really accurately articulate the power, uh, the majesty, the violence, especially towards the base. You, it just it doesn't come across on film. Even the high-resolution 4K stuff doesn't capture it. It's terrifying, so humbling, lets you know how small you are and lets you know how vulnerable you are. But man, the adrenaline rush, there's nothing like it. But it also just sounds like I described being on the field at Kyle Field or, or being on the field in Happy Valley right before Penn State takes the field. Hey, it's the same thing. In fact, there's a reason why these are the two things I'm so passionate about. Storm chasing, college football. Because those are really the two things that when you experience them at their peak, there is an adrenaline rush it gives you. I would imagine skydiving does the same thing, but I've never gone skydiving. I plan on doing it, but I've never done it before. These things give you an adrenaline rush that you can't, you can't replicate hardly anywhere else. Um, you know, a combat sport fight to the death, maybe that would do it for me. I've not had a fight to the death so far. Maybe I have. I'm just still here. What does that tell you about me? But my answer to this is I think I would have to choose not to see the tornado in person anymore because I've seen seven of them. I've been fortunate enough and we put ourselves in position. I've seen seven tornadoes in person. It's incredible. I won't lie to you. It's incredible. Been through, been through eight but I've seen seven in person. But the college football, I got to have that, man. I got to have that. I've, I've got the memories of the tornadoes, and I also, even though it doesn't do it justice, I can watch the footage of the tornadoes, but if you don't let me go to college football games anymore, it's, it's kind of like a drug. It's kind of addictive. Once you get to go in person, I, I, I can't just be watching on TV anymore. I need to be there. There's, there's an experience that's unique unto being there in person in college football, kind of like seeing a tornado in person, that you can't replicate. But, you know, it's, it's probably like 75% of the organic strike-up conversations I have with people I've never met before. I meet people in the gym all the time or like in stores and stuff, easily airports. I run into people constantly who watch the show. They'll introduce themselves. Hey, I'm Jeff. Hey, I'm Steve. And then within a minute, they're either going to ask me about storm chasing or about experiences at college football games because those are the two things I talk about a whole lot. And I don't know really what my life would be like without either one. Pretty boring to be real with you. So I need both of them. Unfortunately, I was just made to choose. So I'll leave the tornadoes. I got to have the college football. As you can tell to this point, I don't have a storm chasing podcast. This show is kind of a big deal. You know, so college football, pretty integral part of it. So I'm sorry to Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt and the entire Chase team. I'm going to have to leave it to you guys, and I'm going to have to take college football. 
I think also if we focus grouped it, I think that was the right answer. But it hurts nonetheless. Luckily, this is a fantasy world we live in. All right, next up. Uh, Jay Rando said, why don't more college football analysts follow recruiting? Buddy, you just heard me drop my pen. I have no clue. I, I do not know. There is no good answer here. Because I know when you watch an NFL broadcast, every one of those guys in the booth is intimately familiar with what happened in the NFL draft. They're glued to it. Everyone's glued to it. Yet on signing day and subsequently leading up to signing day, there are some folks who pay attention to it hardcore now. So I'm, I'm not painting with a broad brush, but there are some folks who are going to be in booths calling college football action on national broadcast who could not for the life of themselves tell you the story of this guy's recruitment, that guy's recruitment. And it's not even about the individual recruitments. You need to know for a, a better subtext and a foundational element of your knowledge of the sport, you need to know the recruiting stories of universities. You need to know that Texas A&M's trajectory has pointed up and why it's pointed up and the fact that they've grabbed this location, the fact that they probably had a top 10 signing class based on Houston alone last year. Now you could go to the game, you could go meet with the staff on Thursday and you could go to the SID, that's the sports information director for those unfamiliar, and he could give you some talking points, but that's their talking points. You need to know, you need to know it like the back of your hand. You, you can you can have supplemental research. You don't need to know the top 10 rankings from 2019. You can look that up, but you need to have a good working knowledge of it. I don't know why. To me, it's a little bit of a dereliction of duty. If you don't, if you don't at least possess the ability to speak the language of recruiting, and for, I'll give you an example right here. Probably get in trouble for it. Those of you who think I just tow the company line, I work for CBS. You know, uh, We carry a broadcast every week, the SEC game of the week. CBS also owns 24-7 Sports. Boggles my mind why 24-7 Sports themes in recruiting are not woven throughout those CBS broadcasts. And this is my company. It just doesn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me before I got here. I remember when CBS bought 24-7, and I thought, man, 24-7, that's going to be all over that Game of the Week broadcast. So not only am I going to get Gary and Vern at the time, not only am I going to get the intro music, which essentially is the same music they play right before you enter heaven, sources tell me, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to get my favorite recruiting brand woven into my favorite broadcast. And it's kind of never materialized. I don't get it. Those are decisions that are made at a higher level than me. I don't get it. But it's a good question. I don't have a good answer for you. I do know you're doing yourself a disservice. If you call yourself ever wanting to put on a headset and deliver play-by-play, -play, I mean, people are listening to you. Hardcore college football fans are listening to you. Imagine how disrespectful it is to them, to your audience, if you're going on air with a lesser working knowledge of the product than they have, and they're not the ones talking, they're the ones listening to you. So there's some, there some out there who do it really well, and then those are called professionals. And then there are others out there who view it as a one or two day a week job and still get paid for it, but that's not professionalism. That's not owning your craft. That's just, that's just doing something for a paycheck. It just happens to be a high profile thing that you're doing. Moving on. Boy, you know we got a fine coming for that one, Colin and Jesse. You just know it's coming. Next up, Jack said, if you had a DeLorean, what would you tell a college football fan in 1999 about the game in 2022 without giving so much away that you create a time paradox? Now, that's an important caveat there. We cannot give so much away from 1999 to present-day versions of ourselves that we create a time paradox because I think we've all been there a time or two. Whomst amongst us, hasn't accidentally created a time paradox, and we all know how that ends up. And I don't want to go down that road. But I'll tell you what I would tell myself. Two things. Uh, one of them would be, in 1999, I would say, hey, uh, Saban is going to LSU. I think he may have been LSU by then, or, or he was about to go to LSU. Uh, you probably don't know much about him. He's the guy from Michigan State. He's going to end up winning a title. Look, this dude's eventually going to be so good, he goes to the NFL. Do whatever you have to do to get inside the facility in Miami and make sure they get Drew Brees. You will change the sport forever. Not for Alabama. This would be bad news for Alabama. But for everybody else in college football, you will change the sport forever. Otherwise, there's going to be a gigantic crimson monster that's going to take the sport by the throat. And it's going to let you win a title every now and then. But largely, you're just going to see... Crimson and white confetti in your dreams. 
You're going to see different colors of Gatorade soaking Nick Saban in your dreams for the next, I don't know, even in 2022. We don't know when this ends. So the first thing I would tell you is go and take a crowbar, go, go and slice the tires of whoever made the decision not to let them at Miami take Drew Brees and let him take Drew Brees. For those unfamiliar, five-second story. Saban was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He wanted Drew Brees. The team doctors wouldn't clear him. They had to take Dante Culpepper instead. Saban was gone a year later. If they take Drew Brees still had like 10 years left on his career or more as it turned out. So that was in what 05 or 06. Drew Brees just retired. Hall of Famer. Could have been at Miami with Saban. Saban could still be coaching down there. So that would um, theoretically take care of the Saban issue that has that is in some of your minds plagued the sport. I'm a big fan of Nick Saban being in college football. But aside from that, I would tell 1999 version, or I would tell 2022 version of myself if I were in 1999, make sure you keep the main thing the main thing. Make sure you crystallize the regular season. This is so old because I talk about it on here all the time, but yet when I look at our podcast numbers, so many of you are coming to the table every week. I mean, our numbers are growing during the dreaded O word season. Uh, that's because some of you don't believe in it. And thank you for that. But as more of you come here, I have to relitigate the reasons why we think the way we think on this show. When I say we, I don't mean me and our crew. I mean, us, most of us listening to this show, some of us disagree on whether we want to expand the playoff or not, but we all agree the best part of this sport is not the playoff. It's not what happens in random NFL stadiums where neutral site playoff games are held. We watch the games, we enjoy them, we want our team to make it there, but it's about the regular season. That's why we, we focus so much on the regular season on our show. It doesn't have to make sense to you if you're from the NFL side of the tracks. It doesn't have to make sense if you're an NBA fan or, rest in peace, Major League Baseball fan. No, it doesn't make sense because college football is not like your sport. There's room for all, by the way. I watch those other leagues. I watch college football. I'm totally fine with... In the fact that in this sport, in our sport, we cherish the regular season. And, and the postseason is whatever, you know, we'll take whatever result it gives us. It's not going to devalue the regular season. Well, what I would tell myself in 2022 is I would, um, or I would tell myself in 1999, make sure as you start having more and more traction given to this playoff idea, make sure you up front are able to spell out what the consequences are going to be. Now, it could be that they wouldn't listen to me anyway. There, there are a couple of famous parables in the Bible about how, you know, why can't I just warn everybody? And then God tells you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you warn them. They're going to do the same thing. Watch and see what I tell you. So look, it may be that. It may be that even if I were to be able to go back in 1999 and tell everyone, just give them a vision of the future. You love the regular season right now. You also think you want a playoff. I'm warning you, you may not be able to have both. And then what if I were to tell 1999 me or me and my friends about bowl opt-out? What if I were to tell them about the phrase meaningless bowl game, meaningless regular season game? What if I were to tell them there's going to be a small but very vocal group of people who claim none of the games matter, only a few teams matter now with your playoff put in place? I don't know how much it would change. At the very least, it would put a voice out there. And what it would do, it would give me credibility. So that after we got through the first round of changes, everyone would be able to look back on me and say, that guy was right the whole time. So hopefully then the words I said would have much greater meaning. I would be like an oracle. People would look at me as, as like a, a college football prophet of sorts, and I would not downplay it. Trust me, if you know me like you think you do, I would wear that crown. I mean, I'm actively petitioning to become the commissioner of this sport. You don't think I would accept the title of prophet instead? Certainly I would. I love all forms of profiting. With the F, with the PH, I love all forms. Bring it. The more profiting, the merrier. So I think I would just warn. I would just put up warning signs and caution signs. That's my answer there. Ah, <sighs> that was a good question. I, th I feel like we really, if we wanted to, we could have gone like 30 minutes on that. All right, next up. Baki Z says, I once heard on a certain network that if Nick Saban had one Super Bowl, it would be greater than any of his college football championships. Do you agree with that? And why do you think the media looks down on college football like that? <laughs> I'm going I'm to let you guess, Bucky. Uh, what I, I'm not downplaying your name. It's just a weird name. I'm going to let you guess what I think about comparing, what, at this point, seven national championships, six at Bama, 
Is it six? This is the point. I've lost count of how many national championships Nick Saban has. It's, it's somewhere between five and ten. I'll let you guess. Do you think I value all those or one Super Bowl win more? And once you get done laughing, and once those of you who are regulars get done chuckling, then I'm going to talk a little bit more about what he also asked on the back end. He said, why do so many people look down on college football? Kind of goes back to what you and I spoke about last week. I don't know if you were here or not, Baki, but a lot of us spoke about this kind of amongst ourselves here last week. You notice a lot of times how I speak kind of in a secretive manner when I say those of us amongst ourselves. Well, that's kind of the feel we have in the college football world. We have for a long time on this podcast, on this show. It's the same way. You almost think of it as a closed society, but the door is open. It's not locked. Anyone can come in. But when you come in, we ask that you close the door behind you. Leave it unlocked. Invite your friends and family. Meemaw can come in anytime she wants, but shut it. Because what we don't want is we don't want to get distracted from the outside noise. Because out in that hallway, outside of our room here where we reside, there are a bunch of casuals walking that hallway. There are a bunch of tourists. There are a bunch of normal folks out there. Well, we're not normal. We got a little special thing going on here. And so we treat it as such. And the reason I tee that up and remind those of you who are new here what our mentality is, is to answer the question that was asked. I, don't, I do know why they look down on it. But my follow-up is, I don't care why they look down on it. Here's the only detrimental side. The de- it's not detrimental to have people bashing you or looking down on you. I don't care about that. That's never, that has never affected my excitement when I wake up on a Saturday morning. I can promise you that, and it never will. The detrimental side is when too many people in this room of ours start listening to people out there. So someone left the door open. And all of a sudden, their voice is out there. And they're talking about how this room is not really as good as this other Sunday room over here, this NFL room. And then a couple of people over in the corner of our room start whispering amongst themselves, you know, our room isn't as big as the NFL room. Huh, the lights aren't as bright in here. Boy, the the spread's not quite as good over here. How long has that baloney been sitting out? Some of us like room temperature deli meats, okay? Some of us like the salami that's been sitting out. It's got a light rind on it. That's our room. We can do whatever we want to in here. If you don't like it, here we go. Leave. If you don't like it, leave. Uh, We don't take that harsh approach in our room. But what we do ask is, if you're in here, kindly respect the boundaries of the room and kindly understand that college football is the best sport on the planet. And in some cases, it's the best on the planet because it's not what other sports are. And some people are paid to cover those other sports. And, you know, their editor may say, I need you to cover college football, and they don't really like it. They're not passionate about it. They are not us. They are them. They're not one of us. We'll be cordial to them. We don't go out and let the air out of their tires in the parking lot or anything, but we understand when they talk, it doesn't matter as much to us. It doesn't matter as much to me. Uh, as it, it, when, a, when a beat writer for the New England Patriots talks bad, about Boston College football or the ACC or and this and that. I don't care. It's just, it's, it's a, a wayward opinion. It should go in one ear and out the other. Uh, but they look down on you because they don't view you as good. That's the answer. And if that's the way they want to view it, you know, I've, I've put out that gif of myself hopping a freight train, which is real, and I give the thumbs up. That's how I respond to those people. It is the height of dismissal to just give someone a thumbs up. Give those people a thumbs up. You'll be happy for it. They'll be driven crazy for it. And we'll all live happily ever after. Next up on this fine Wednesday, we've got Wabash Cannon Bob. And he said, why has there been such a recent uptick in complaints about college football being top heavy? When has it, nev- when has it not been that way? Good question. Very good question. It hasn't. It's always been that way. It's always been a top-heavy sport. I think a lot more emphasis has been placed on this because we're in a playoff era now. (laughs) Shocker here. Another downside, unforeseen, of the playoff era. This is a sport that was not built like the NFL. Kind of goes back to the question we were just talking about. A lot of people look at the NFL, and that is a league built solely for football. That's it. The, the, the teams are not attached to anything else. They're just built to play football. Clemson football was not even around when Clemson University was built. And then 
as other teams started to decide we want some extracurricular activities, we want some recreational activities that are associated with the, with the university. Let's have club sports and whatnot. And that grew into what college football is now over decades and decades. Clemson football came to be known as, well, there goes my pen, Clemson football is born. Okay, that's great. Uh, Clemson football may have come along 30 years before or after your program came along with your university. And Clemson football may have deep pockets and you may not have deep pockets. They may be located in the South. You may be located in South Dakota. Therefore, they've got more access to players who are athletic and can play the sport. They're in warmer weather. All of this works against you if you're in South Dakota. So you can either do one of two things. You can look around and you can complain about how it's a top-heavy sport and those teams always win and we need to go about changing everything about the infrastructure of the sport to appease me. Or you could just accept reality and then understand the stupid thing, let's use, let's use softer language, the ignorant thing is pretending that this sport is something it's not. So therefore, the smart thing is to understand there are tears in this sport. This is a, a very, very class society, and it's closed. Very rarely are you going to see a tier three end up being a tier one. So what we can do, instead of pretending 130 teams are playing the same sport, we can acknowledge reality, and we can say, all right, you got about 15 of them over here, and then there's another bubble of about 30, and then there's another bubble of 40 or 50, and you can measure yourself based on teams in your own bubble. I mean, imagine, I remember how just mind-numbingly ignorant it seemed to me that Boise State built a monster in Boise, Idaho, in the Mountain West or the WAC or whatever they were in. And you had, I was down in the South. I, got, I had some fools down there around me, including some in my own social circle. And all they wanted to say was Boise would never win in the SEC. Who in the world cares what they would do in the SEC? They're in Idaho, man. They don't have any advantage. Under Chris Peterson, they had no advantage relative to their competition. In fact, I would argue they were disadvantaged, even in the Mountain West and the WAC, relative to their competition. Some of the teams they play against are in California with access to talent. They're in Idaho. I feel like they need to stress that again. Idaho, okay? And yet they were still winning. That was a miracle to me. That vaulted Chris Peterson right up to the top of my coaching power ranking. If you were properly contextualizing their accomplishments, you would have thought the same thing. But if you were just viewing the sport holistically, and everybody's playing the same league, everybody's playing the same sport, they're playing the same level, as long as you're, you're D1, you're FBS, we're measuring all of you equally, well then no, you, you didn't appreciate Boise fully. So the reason why it's this way is because it's always been this way. Because college football is not set up like a professional sports league. Accept it. You don't have to draw your joy or despair from whether your team accomplishes something that's meaningful within a structure that should normally be reserved for professional sports. The pro sports structure doesn't work here. Therefore, the grading system that you would use in pro sports, it doesn't work here. You could be so much happier. So many more of us could be so much happier on Saturdays if we viewed the sport that way. Uh, let's move on. Uh, you know what? Let's first do this. Three, two, one, bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yeah, sometimes we take pride in easing into the ad read around here, but sometimes I forget totally to do it. And that was the cheapest ad read toss I think I've done. It's not even fair to you to, to abruptly count down and then say, bah. That's why I can't say Brigham Young. I can't, I can't abbreviate Brigham Young because that's what it sounds like when I pronounce a Y. Anyway, we're back.
So all that's behind us. Uh, next up is David. David hit me in Instagram DM. Uh, he said, appreciate the show. Hope all's going well. And thank you, David. It is. Here's a question. He said, what would you say constitutes a hot take? And why does late kick tend to steer clear of them? Well, it's very intentional that we stay away from that format. I learned a long time ago. No one had to teach me this. I observed it myself. I learned a long time ago. The best people, as I saw them, in sports media were not the hot takers. They were people who already thought so differently that when they just spoke their mind, by default, their opinions were unique. And they stood out like a hot take but it wasn't a hot take in the purest sense of those words. When you say hot take, you're probably thinking like I do. Someone who just gets on TV or radio and runs their mouth or goes to Twitter and just, just throws something out there because they know it'll get traction, absent any logic. You know, you're not really morally invested in what you said. You're just saying it because it's an ends to a mean. And I don't believe in that for what should be obvious reasons. But also, if you understand how to think properly, in life. Forget about sports for a second, but it applies across the board. If you understand how to think correctly and clearly, you've already set yourself apart from 95% of the crowd. And therefore, if you understand how to think clearly and correctly, and then you speak from the heart, you don't have to be coming up with what you think is going to be controversial or you think is going to be an edgy set of opinions. Your natural opinions will set themselves apart from the crowd just because your mind has already set itself apart from the crowd. So then you see very clearly and easily when you get into our world of sports talk and sports media and whatnot, you can go about getting attention one of two ways. You can either do the hot take thing, which is gonna wear off, that's like a sugar high, or you can learn to observe instead of just watch. It's a key part, if you wanna make it in this business, if you wanna be a professional in our business, I think one of the most underrated and key aspects is observational, watching and listening, as opposed to just passive watching and listening. Anyone can sit on a couch and watch a football game. Can you observe it? Therefore, ingesting it through different filters, which leads to content creation. That's the name of the game. So you can either hot take your way, or you could learn to observationally watch and listen to, to anything that you're covering, college football in my case, and then you can just speak openly and freely from your heart. What do you think? And then you try and be entertaining about it, we certainly are not running a chemistry lab here. We try and be very entertaining, but I'm not going to do it in a manner that where I walk into the studio one day and say, all right, Colin and Jesse, what do I want to say that's going to grab some attention? Like when we format the show, I'll give you a little behind the scenes here, we never format our show. <laughs> so that was a kind of a trick question there. We don't format our show. We have a loose idea of the topics we're going to hit and the order we're going to hit them in. But normally, especially when you get to our level, it's a, it's a national college football show. And we've got all this equipment. We work for a major media company. Normally, I mean, you would have, you would have a rundown in front of me. Uh, they'd have Ross Inception, which is the program we use. You'd have it open in the, in the control room there. And I would be looking meticulously through, through every block. And I would look through every cell. And we would have everything timed out. And we would have every element here. That's not the way we do it. We intentionally want it to be authentic. And we want it to be pure. We call it jazz-based formatting which is they follow me instead of symphonic-based formatting. We created our own nomenclature around here. Uh, the the symphonic-based formatting would be like a news program where everything's laid out and every second's accounted for. We don't do it that way. But the reason we don't do it that way is because I don't like planning what we say. And so what we do is we get to the end of a show and then we look at the show and we look and say, what stood out? And then we go clip the videos and you'll see anytime we do a Late Kick Live, you'll see on Twitter, Instagram, there'll be a few clips of videos. But we didn't set out for that to end up being a clip. It just became a clip. That's authentic. And you guys see it. I know because I can see it. I can tell clear as day when someone's gone in with a pre-prepared monologue and they got a few sentences they know are going to pop and stand out. I'm not telling anyone else how to do their job. I'm just saying we don't do it. We don't have a word of this show scripted because I know you can see through it. Back when the hot take culture first took hold, it didn't matter. But now that the world is recondition themselves to be able to spot that. Yeah, you can spot the fraudulent takes. You can spot inauthenticity in a hot minute. And even if you can't, if I were to do that, I'm not delivering anything of substance to you. We want to engage, entertain, enlighten, and inform. That, those are the four pillars we're trying to hit every show. 
And if I'm doing that, I'm hitting maybe one of those. You may be entertained by it. You don't get anything else out of it. Like I said, it's cotton candy. It's a sugar high. It doesn't, it just doesn't nourish you at all. And that's what we want to do on the show. We want to nourish. It should have a nutrition label on these shows. But you don't get anything else out of that. So I'd be wasting your time if I did that. That's why we don't do that. Uh, next up, uh, I think we have one more, and we save this one for the end, mainly because it, is, it, well, it has nothing to do with college football. But I encourage you to ask whatever you want. But um, I normally, a little formatting change, I just normally used to throw these in wherever. I'm going to push the non-college football stuff a little bit towards the end. So those of you who are interested, you can tune out. That's fine. Uh, John asked, are you capable of picking one song from the Twister soundtrack as your chasing theme song? And if so, which would it be? The answer is no, John. I'm not capable of that. And I'm going to tell you why. Because uh, we have a pretty set ritual when we are storm chasing. And it is that season. Tis the season right now. There are different portions of the Twister soundtrack for different times of a chase. So when you set out in the morning, you know, normally if you grew up where I grew up, you go up Highway 315, you hit the Chevron in Fortson, Georgia. Very, very underrated breakfast buffet there. A lot of us eat at gas stations where I'm from. Deal with it. And then you get on I-185 and you're either headed north or you're headed over in Alabama. That's the time of day where you'll listen to Twisted by Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham. Not a Fleetwood Mac song, even though both of them were in Fleetwood Mac. Uh, that's a great early day song. That's before the action has started. Also, um, you know, there, there, there's a Mark Knopfler song on there. I forgot what it was called. But those are good songs in the buildup. But when you're talking about chasing, there are two songs that we reserve on my team that I chase with. We're only allowed to play them when an active tornado warning has been issued. And they are Long Way Down by the Goo Goo Dolls and obviously Humans Being by Van Halen which is the song in the movie Twister they're playing when they're going after the tornado, that's when we crank those. Now, the added bonus is if you're watching the video version of this on YouTube, I have given Colin footage, as I said earlier, of the latest tornado that we captured. That's in Billingsley, Alabama. Uh, we had humans being playing on the chase. Now, obviously, the radio's off when you're uh, actually you know, in front of a tornado because you're filming it. But I'm a believer that Van Halen assists you in intercepting tornadoes. Certainly doesn't hurt you. I'll put it that way. So then you get later in the day, and if you don't have an overnight situation, and I do not prefer to chase at night, and you're headed home, that's when you get with the slower jam. If you need some energy, No One Needs to Know by Shania Twain. One of her best songs is on there. But Moments Like This by Alison Krauss is an underrated song. I think probably the most vivid memory framework I have from the movie Twister as it relates to the soundtrack is the song... How? By Lisa Loeb. You probably remember her for the song Stay. Only hear what I want to. Yeah, that song. Well, this is not that song, but it's another good song. It's so vivid because you know exactly where in the movie it was placed. But my answer is you have different songs for different times of the day. But the Twister soundtrack, we've already established this. It's just a fact. Is the most underrated movie soundtrack in the history of American cinema. Some people in my building have not even seen the movie. Those people need to work on themselves. I know a lot of you have seen it. But I would encourage you, watch it again, but listen to the music. There's some really good music kind of woven, and some of it is audio bed, and there, there are actual lines of dialogue happening over it. So you really got to listen close. But man, so good. Such a vivid movie. Great movie. Came out in the mid-90s. Still one of my all-time favorites. All right, a reminder here on the very back end. I really appreciate you guys. I mean, you're doing things that shouldn't be able to be done with our numbers. Should, should not be happening for a college football podcast to be growing in March, but yet it is. Uh, the only favor is subscribe to the actual podcast itself. Don't just download the video or the audio because um, we've got tens of thousands of people listening, but yet the download numbers don't always match that. It's not that they're bad. They just don't match it. So or subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. The subscription numbers don't always match it. So that's it. That's all. Spotify. Apple, wherever you are. Those five-star reviews help, but subscribe to the pod. And uh, as I always encourage you, don't hesitate to take a friend or a family member's phone and subscribe on theirs as well. They'll never even know it. So just go ahead and do it. Thank you so much. we got to get this thing cut up for producer Jordan, who's about to have this product tossed his way in a matter of moments, along with producer Jesse, who's in the house, and director Colin. I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day, and God bless you.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.